I know some of you wonder why I'm never in the choir. It's because I can't do the thing. I, can't, I, just, I just ain't got it, man. The voice is splendid, but it's the moves. I just don't have the moves. All right, you guys ready for the word this morning? You want it straight up? That's how you going to get it. We're talking about discernment. Discernment. Seeing beyond the surface. Let's go to the book of Jude. The book of Jude. What chapter y'all want to read in Jude? Which chapter? Let's go with chapter one, since there's only one chapter in that book. Everybody sing this song with me. Hey, Jude, don't. So y'all don't think the voice is really all that good either, do you? All right. I can handle it. The book of Jude, um, we're going to see that Jude actually when he started to write this book, thought that he sensed from the Lord to write on it about um, salvation. But God changed his mind. And we'll see that in the text today. How many of you are are used by God to preach, teach? You're you're gifted in that area and God uses you to preach, teach. Just, Just raise your hand, don't be ashamed. Raise your hand up and say, God uses me as a teacher, preacher. Good, good. Um, how many of you have ever thought you knew what you were supposed to talk about? And God kind of at the last minute just told you to talk about something else. That's kind of what happens to Jude here. And uh, his whole book, the whole book of Jude, really uh, generally deals with making sure we are alert to false teaching. Making sure we know how to respond to false doctrine and false teaching. So let's read the first four verses. Jude, a bondservant. If you ever want to do a word study, um, um, the word bondservant, you should circle that and do a word study on that. Um, To to just give you a little preview of what you'll find, it's it's a slave who was under the master by requirement but the master has a good heart doesn't believe in slavery so he sets this person free and because of the heart of the master and the love of the master and the provision of the master and the protection of the master even though he has been set free he decides that he will stay with the master That's who we are. We've been set free. We can go anywhere we want to go, serve any God we want to serve, make our own choices. I choose the Lord. Amen? He's my master. So Jude is saying, I am a bondservant of who? Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are the called. So he's talking to the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. That's who we are. Go home and just look at your family and go, I am Ecclesia. And they will call the paddy wagon because they will think you've lost it. Uh, but that's who we are, the called out ones. To those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Talking about believers. He's talking to believers here. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Now, here in verse 3 is where he says, I was going to talk about this, but God changed my mind, and I'm going to talk about this. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. You see it right there in the first part of the verse. He says, I tried my best. It's, it's probably not a stretch to say Jude kind of argued with God and said, you know, God, I really kind of had my outline already written out, you know. And God goes, but false teachers are creeping in, and I need you to address that. He says, I was going to talk to you about common salvation, but I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend. 
That means fight for, earnestly, the faith which was once for all handed down to us. How many of you know that what we enjoy as a church here at Whitley is something that was handed down to us by our forefathers? And we're all contemporary and we do church a little different than our forefathers did, but we're preaching the same message they preached. I need a bigger amen than that. So just, let, let's just pretend like I didn't say that yet, okay? So we're all contemporary and we do really cool stuff and we're creative and that's all good and, and all that's fine because we want people to come in and get a wow experience when they come to church. But the message is the same. Amen. Now what's wrong with y'all? Why can't I get that all the time? Don't make me come down there. Look at verse 4. For certain persons have crept in to the church. I love that language, creeping, because that's how false teachers are. It's kind of slither and creep. For certain persons have crept in. Look at that next word, big word. What does that say? Guys. This is what God's calling us to in this discernment series, to not let it go unnoticed. That we would have enough discernment about us and know enough about the Bible and walk in intimacy with God enough that when it looks like God but it isn't God, we know it. It can't go unnoticed. It can't go unnoticed. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. That phrase means that the scriptures warned us this would happen. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Dan Daniels comes to our church great blessing to our church, he and his family. And yesterday, he sent me a Facebook message and said, Pastor, have you seen the front page of the News and Observer today? Did y'all see the front page of the News and Observer yesterday? All these billboards that are going up in, in Wake County um, by the atheists. The atheists are just putting up billboards everywhere. One of the billboards said, we've got the whole world in our hands. How's that working out for you? Not too good. <laughs> Doesn't need to be in our hands. Boy, all you got to do is look around and see what happens when it's in our hands. We want it in his hands. And, and so I, I just, I, I thought, you know, I looked at that front page and there were three different billboards pictured there, front page article. And I thought, um, you know, how timely that was in what we're talking about. And this stuff is creeping in the church. That is the part that Jude, is, Jude says, I know it's going to be out there. Jude said, I know it's going to be out there. Jude said, the thing that's bothering me is it's getting in the house of God. It's getting in the church, and we're going to talk about that today. Lutheran Bible scholar R.C.H. Linsky writes in his New Testament commentary this, this statement. The worst forms of wickedness consist of perversions of the truth. I want you to think about that. The worst forms of wickedness consist of perversions of the truth. And then he says, I'm talking about spiritual lies. Spiritual lies. And this is a very important statement for us to remember because there's a lot of wicked elements in the world. I mean, we could talk about sexual sin and perversion. And my goodness, that's rampant in our world today. We could talk about covetousness and greed and, you know, wanting what your neighbor's got including their husband or wife. Can I preach? Various elements of materialism, love for things that are temporary. We could talk about the horrors of war. We could talk about the terrible crimes that are being committed all around us, right in our very own community. We could talk about the horrible murder of the unborn, abortion, we could pick from a vast number of sin categories, but I gotta tell you something this morning. I think Linsky was right. The worst form of wickedness that exists today in the world is a perversion of the truth because see, that affects you eternally. That affects you eternally. 
These other problems can be solved in this life so that you go into eternity knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But if you believe a spiritual lie, you will leave this world not ready to meet Christ. So that's why it's very important to the enemy that what we bring into the church is a watered-down version, a mixture of all kinds of doctrines and religions and we'll talk about why that's happening. I looked up that word form. Um, you know, from his quote, the worst form of wickedness, the word form simply means shape. So what Linsky is saying in this quote is, evil in any form, evil in any shape, evil in any appearance, evil of any kind, evil of any sort, evil of any species, Shun it. Some battles are better fought with your hat. <laughs> Grab it and run. You remember Joseph? Joseph walked in one day and the potter's for his wife was, hello, darling. She was, she was dressed in a way, no doubt, that was very sensual. She was dressed in a way and, and giving off all kind of vibes that made herself available. Potiphar was gone. Her husband was gone. Joseph was there by himself. Joseph could have said, nobody will ever know. Nobody will ever find out. My family will never know. No one who knows me will ever know. I can do this thing, and nobody will ever know. But the Bible says that Joseph, I love the King James Version on this. When Joseph saw her, he got him out. <laughs> I just like that. What does, what does Paul tell Timothy? Flee youthful lusts. And some of you old people got some youthful lusts out there. So it ain't just talking about young people. <laughs> I'm 54, I know. All right? Shun it. Run from it. This is critical because if you're drawn into false teaching, you will be susceptible to being led astray. As we studied last week in 2 Corinthians 11, this is the reason we see throughout Scripture a constant, clear, clarion call for discernment of the truth. Let me say something to the young people here today, and I want you to hear me. You young people, hear me. I cannot emphasize to you too strongly that your value to the kingdom of God, your value as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, is going to be directly related throughout your whole existence on this earth. Your value to the kingdom, your value as a Christian, is going to be directly related to your ability to discern the truth. I want the young people of Whitley Church to have a ball I want, them to ha I want them to enjoy this church. I want them to enjoy uh, Encounter Student Ministries. I want them to enjoy 412 Kids Church. I want them to have a great time, but we got to get the Word of God in these kids right now. And I want to say thank you to Pastor Jared, and I want to say thank you to Pastor Josh, and I want to say thank you to Pastor Jimmy and Valerie and Eric and everybody, and I, I could just go on and on. Our, our impact leaders, our Royal Ranger leaders, you're getting the Word of God in these kids, and, and, and let the goal be, guys, every time you teach the youth of Whitley Church is to rightly divide the Word of God to them and give it to them straight up. We've got to get it in our kids now. I don't want to hand down to our kids some deluded form of what we believe today. we got to hand our kids an even stronger message, maybe. we got to hand down to them the truth. This goes for everybody, not just our youth. Hear me. The blessings of God on your life. Anybody want God to bless their life? Anybody? Well, the blessings of God on your life, the productivity of your Christian life, the fruitfulness of your walk with God. Listen, listen. The joy of your walk with God is going to be directly related to your ability to know the truth and do it. 
discern the truth because discernment is that primary quality that is necessary for you to make the best choices for your life. See, if you don't have discernment, you're going to be making bad choices left and right, and bad choices make life hard. Bad choices. What a blessing that as a follower of Jesus, we have the exclusive privilege. Think about the Think about the privileges we have because we know Jesus. And one of the exclusive privileges that we have in knowing Jesus is that we just don't get discernment, we get divine discernment. We get discernment that comes from God. And when you get discernment that comes from God, here's what you can do. You can navigate the minefields of life. Chuck Swindoll gives an illustration in his book, Church Awakening, of uh, visiting Japan when he was uh, in the military and how uh, the ship came up to the shore of Japan as close as it could. They were on a very large military ship, and then they had to um, uh, wait until a Japanese ship came out and met them, a much smaller ship that could guide them into the port because because mines were still in the water and, and only the Japanese knew exactly where they were. And that's how discernment works. See, when you've got God leading you, when you've got God in front of you, when you're depending on God, when you're looking to God for guidance and direction and wisdom, you're able to miss those mine fields and those mines that are out there that can destroy your life and bring disaster to your life. So when the individual, the church, loses its ability to discern, we put ourselves in a disastrous situation. Now I want to say to you this morning, I want you to hear me. I believe that evangelical Christianity, and that's us, guys, Bible-believing Christians, I believe evangelical Christianity is fighting for its life. And the reason it's fighting for its life is because the church and individual Christians we, we don't place emphasis on accuracy and precision as it relates to truth. We're, we've, we've settled for less than accuracy. We, we've settled for less than purity in the, in the uh, interpretation of truth. We've settled for watered-down version. We're living in a time when you can't even keep up with all the errors and all the perversions that are leaking into the church. We're not talking about out there. We know it's out there, but it's creeping in here. That's what, that's what I'm so concerned about. That's why I'm preaching this sermon series. With that as a foundation, we're going to ask the question, why is there such a lack of discernment or a lack of concern about discernment in the church? What's contributed to this? And I want to just tell you that I think what's contributed to this is, is there is a weakening in our churches of doctrinal clarity. This series that we're about to do on Wednesday night, Why We Believe the Bible, is the first of many that God has spoken to my heart about that we're going to be doing over the next few years. We're about to stock our bookstore with books that are going to help you be able to defend what you believe. You need to know what you believe, and you need to know why you believe it or you're gonna be shaky in your walk with God, or worse than that, you're gonna follow after something that's gonna lead you away from God while you're thinking it is God that you're following. Y'all with me? So important. Not only is there a weakening of doc doctrinal clarity in our churches, but because there is a weakening of doctrinal clarity, what we believe, why we believe it, then there is a weakening of convictions in the church. There was a better time in the history of the church when Christians were encouraged to think biblically. There was a better time in history when we were encouraged to think theologically and think precisely and, and search the scriptures thoroughly to carefully determine the truth. There was a time when a vast majority of churches were not in the hands of pastors and leaders who refused to think deeply or refuse to think clearly or precisely or carefully about the Word of God. Um, I guess, you know, if I feel called to something in particular, and I've said this before, I just want to say it again, 
if, if I feel called personally to something in particular, it is to prove as much as I can through this church and through our satellite churches that you can be an attractional, enjoyable, fun, relevant church without compromising the truth. See, here's the problem we've had. We, we've had the idea that to be uncompromising in our message, you kind of got to be a mean Christian. You know what I'm saying? You know, uh, that, that we have to be harsh and we have to just come down on people and, you know, and, and go, that's a lie. That's a, you know. I, there's just, I know God is, is just stirring my heart and saying, Pharaoh, listen, man, you can be a church that is attractive to people who don't know Christ and at the same time be uncompromising in your doctrine and your theology and your teaching and your preaching. I mean, we found that out last week in that story with Paul and Silas. How that uh, Paul and Silas said the Bereans checked us out, man. They checked us out and they measured everything we said by the scriptures to see if it was the truth. And the Bible says because of precision, because of accuracy, many Jews were saved and many Gentiles were saved. I believe that passage we got into last week really is one of the core passages in the Bible where God says, yes, you can be a very attractive church where, where people are coming to Christ and lives are being changed and even lost people go, you know what? There's just something about that church. I'm not ready to believe. I'm not ready to jump in yet, but I just want to go back next Sunday. That attractiveness. Y'all with me? That we can have that and not water down the gospel. Here's what churches have tried to say, that if you're going to be attractive, you got to back off a little bit. No! People want the truth. It's just like that illustration of the doctor last week. You know, you go to the doctor, you don't want the doctor to hold anything back. You want truth. And we want truth in our churches. I believe most people do. You see, there's so much pressure on pastors today. Um, how many did you have Sunday? How many did you have? Did you have a big crowd? Um, oh, yeah, that's less than you had last Sunday. You aren't going down, are you? How, how much is your offering? How, how much do you have in the offering? You ought to see when a bunch of pastors get together. I don't get together with any of them. I love them. But I just don't want to meet on Monday morning and compare, sit around and compare. And, can I preach like this? And hear a bunch of guys whine. They're all pastoring today and preaching this up. They don't know what I'm saying. Of course, they could be watching online. What's up? Listen, I used to be one of those guys that sat around and talked about how hard it is. They don't love me. I don't know how I got off on that. I won't charge anything extra. Accurate theology is going to disappear if we leave it in the hands of novices. See, in our modern culture and in our modern day, and I'm glad to see a turn. I'm seeing a turn happen there was, a, there was a movement where we had to kind of, um, I think a church can be, I'm not against the word seeker friendly. I think a church ought to be seeker friendly. I mean, when seekers come in this church, should we be friendly to them? Amen. Duh. But what they've equated seeker friendly with is not preaching the full strength stuff. See, that's wrong. That's wrong. They, that's why they came. They're tired of hypocrisy out there in the world. They're tired of, they want to come where something is going to be true and right. I didn't mean to get on that and stay on it so long, but accurate theology gets watered down, especially in an environment where there's no real persecution. You say, well, I think I'm going to move towards some precision because I don't want to move towards some persecution. That's probably a great idea. 
Because God loves us so much that if we won't move toward precision on our own, he will bring some persecution. And that'll make, you know what persecution does? It separates the hypocrites from the real Christians. There aren't any hypocrites in China. Because when you say, I love Jesus over there, you're putting your head on the chopping block. You with me? So when persecution comes, and I got to tell you guys something, when I look around me and I'm, and I'm watching the news and I'm reading the newspaper, I hear God saying, you better get with some truth. He's saying to the church, you better get some truth. You better, you better get away from that deluded stuff and get back into the pure word. Because if you don't, I love you so much, I'll let some persecution come in there. Because it separates the men from the boys. Amen, amen. You'll find out who's playing church when we start getting persecuted. You say, well, I'm persecuted because somebody at work told somebody else at work that they didn't like my Bible being on my... That ain't persecution. You don't even know what persecution is. Get you a magazine called Voice of the Martyrs. Read about the Voice of the Martyrs. Matter of fact, go online today and look, Google Voice of the Martyrs and order their magazine and start getting that and read about people who are dying every day around the world because they say, I love Jesus. We don't even know what persecution is. But God loves us enough that he will allow it if we don't, if we don't grip. If we, you remember last week? If we don't get a grip on what is good, get a grip on it, on truth. Does this make sense? If you take a strong stand on theological issues today, you're criticized. When you take a position that's definitive and you say, here's the truth of God, um, a lot of times in this pluralistic, tolerant, love and acceptance environment that we live in, you can't, your, your preaching won't be accepted. Josh McDowell, you remember I mentioned him last week, and I mentioned this quote, I think, but I wanted to make sure I said it again. Only a few years ago, the most quoted verse in the Bible was John 3.16. Recently, a poll was taken, and the most quoted verse in the church now is, don't judge. Don't judge. Now look, there is a context in which don't judge fits. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be in the Bible. But we're using it to go... You know, everybody has their way to God. No, they don't. Jesus is the way. Say, why are you so narrow-minded? Because Jesus said, narrow is the way. You know why narrow is the way that leads to heaven and broad is the way that leads to hell? Because a lot more people are on the highway to hell. I used to know a song with that title. (laughs) but I don't know it anymore. (laughs) In our day, if you determine to preach and teach only truth, and if you point out error-filled teaching, you're going to be criticized. You're going to be called a heresy hunter. You're going to be called a killjoy. Can I just say this to you? Jesus came and preached the truth, and they killed him. Paul came and preached the truth, and they killed him for preaching the truth. The apostles came and preached the truth and they killed every one of them except one and they put him on an aisle in Patmos. Don't misunderstand me. I believe in unity. I believe in unity. You know? Like to give the world a color. Perfect harmony. Y'all remember that old song? I had hair when that came out. I believe in unity. I love my Methodist brothers, my Presbyterian brothers, my Free Will Baptist brothers, my Baptist brothers, my Church of God brothers, my Assembly of God brothers, Pentecost Free Will Baptist brothers, Lutheran brothers, friends, Quakers. I, I, think, I think most denominations today, not all, but most denominations today there are churches within those denominations that have taken a stand for truth. 
And I'm not saying we have, and y'all, you hear me say this all the time from up here. We don't have a corner on the truth here at Whitley Church. We believe we're a part of a worldwide body of Christ. So I believe in unity. But ladies and gentlemen, we cannot let unity take priority over the role of truth in the church. You say, well, for the sake of unity, can't we just all join hands? If you're preaching the truth, we can You see, this tolerance in the church, uh, there's a tolerance in the church, and it comes uh, from weak teaching. And then there's a contempt for precision. There's a tolerance for for watered-down teaching and a contempt, y'all with me? Sort of a defensiveness against guys who want to tell it straight up in the church today uh, when they want to preach with clarity and understanding the Word of God. Let me give you a quote from a commentary that I um, studied for this message. And this is from John MacArthur, and and I don't agree with John MacArthur on everything, but John MacArthur I would not want to get in a debate with, amen? He's a very, very, very smart man, and he loves the Word of God and teaches the Word of God. But here's what he said. He said, the contempt for precision does not come, now now stay with me, This, this this uh, defensiveness against precision teaching and precision preaching does not come from people who disagree after doing hard work in the text or the Word of God. He said contempt for precision comes because people who haven't done the hard work in the text want to be accepted in the mainstream of evangelicalism without anybody questioning why or what they believe. Now, I don't know if you got that or not, but that's worth buying the CD to hear again, I'm telling you. Plus, I get a dollar on every CD. That's not true. That's not true. So what's, what's upsetting is a lot of these guys don't want to do the hard work in finding out what the text means and preaching the text. You know what, the Bible, you know what I'm talking about? Rightly dividing the Word of God. They just kind of want to read a text and go, and this is what this means to me. Well, I don't want to know what it means to you. Can I say something to y'all? You don't want to know what it means to me. You want to know that I've been in the study. You want to know that I've been looking up the root words. You want to know that I've been dissecting that text so I can tell you not what I think. Why it hurt? Not what I think, but what God thinks. Amen, amen? I buffet my body daily. All right. So it's not an accident because what Satan would want to do more than anything else is to get the church not to make an issue out of right interpretation of Scripture. Let me tell you, look, the top priority of Whitley Church ought to be a right interpretation of Scripture. That ought to be number one. But see, in the name of love and acceptance, Satan wants us to tolerate anything and everything and, and, and just open the door for this lack of precision and just kick out conviction when it comes to interpretation of Scripture. Today, there's very little conviction about doctrinal accuracy. I got a couple of illustrations. Deepak Chopra, you know who that, I mean, he's that Hindu snake oil salesman. You know who I'm talking about? You say, well, I've got his book. Well, throw it out the window. Because he's a false teacher. But he makes me feel good. False teacher. And Oprah likes him. And I've always thought, you know, if she married him, she'd be Oprah Chopra. I mean, that's just funny. (laughs) That's funny, isn't it? I think about stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Wilkerson was on the show, Larry King and Deepak Chopra. And Bruce Wilkerson's the one who wrote The Prayer of Jabez. I enjoyed that book. I think, I think Bruce Wilkerson's a Christian. I, I think he's a brother. So I'm not here to pick on him. But when, see, when you're in an atmosphere like this and you're asked who is God or, or you're, you, you got a good answer. But see, when you're on TV... And you're in front of a national audience and you want to be loved and you want to be accepted. Can I say this out loud and you want to sell some books? Now, I love Bruce. I'm not not dogging on Bruce. 
I'm dogging on him a little bit. But he was asked, is God a Christian? You know what he said? No. He said, no, God's not a Christian. So I thought, when I heard that, is he a Buddhist? Is he a Hindu? He's a Christian. God is Christ. Christ is God. We are Christians. Amen? God is a Christian. Did you leave me up here? So Bruce Wilkerson went on to say, God is the God of everybody. No, he's not. I know what he meant in the sense of God's approachable by everybody, but it made it sound like that he was saying, um, you know, he's the same God the Hindus love, and the same God the Muslims love. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, that's false teaching. That's false teaching. And I can sense even right here this morning, right now, pastor, that's pretty narrow-minded. I know, but it's true. It's true. And I love Joe Olstein. My daddy gave me this church. <laughs> I'm not picking on Joel. Y'all read his stuff. We've offered his stuff here. We've had his books out in the bookstore. <clears throat> but dude, when you're on national TV and somebody asks you, do you have to accept Jesus Christ to go to heaven and you him and haul and beat around the bush on that? Come on, brother! Come on, brother. I love you. You're my brother. I'm not here to, to, to put you down. But come on, man. Let's give a straight-up answer and take the heat. The reason God gave us a book is because it's printed right there in front of you. It's static. It's fixed. It's frozen. You know, if God had just given us a feeling... You know, or God had just given us this Christian mysticism, but he gave us a book. That book, let me tell you what that book is. It's a plumb line. You know what a plumb line is? They tell me working men use these. So I don't know what it is. It's a string tied to something heavy, and usually the thing it's tied to comes to a point. And if you want to check and see if a wall's straight or... or you just hang the plumb line. Because the plumb line is always straight, always accurate. So if you hung a plumb line right here, and the wall at the top, it was that far from the string, and at the bottom, it was this far from the string, have we got a crooked plumb line? Got a crooked what? Wall. The Bible is our plumb line. The Bible is what we use to evaluate everything we hear, to assess everything we hear, to compare it to everything we hear. Read, to contrast it. And in many churches today, what we have now is a theology based on experience and emotion and some sort of Christian mysticism without real Bible doctrine conviction. And that's one of the reasons why discernment has disappeared from a lot of churches, because that, those churches don't have sound doctrine. And if you don't hold on to sound doctrine with a passion, then, then you have no standard by which to discern. There's no fix. See, you've got to have a, a fixed place that you bring everything to and put it up beside that. And what we have is the Word of God, the written Word of God. For instance, I believe in a doctrine called the Trinity. You believe in the Trinity? Now, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Do you know the word rapture is not in the Bible either? How many of y'all believe the rapture is going to happen? Now, those of you who don't, when we're going up, I'm going to look at you and go, nanny, nanny, boo, boo, because we're going. All right? I miss. So, so Trinity, God the, God the, God the. So when somebody comes along and tells me God's not three in one, they say there's one God, there, there's a, a, you know, Jesus only, that kind of thing, I just hold up the plumb line. I don't have to go, well, my opinion, it doesn't matter what my opinion is, what matters is what's in the book. And so we hold up the plumb line to that teaching. And that teaching's crooked. 
I believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus Christ is God. So when the Gnostics come along and tell me Jesus is some elevated form of an angel or he's some super prophet, but he's not really God, all I do is get out the plumb line. Y'all with me out there? I hold it right up against that, and that's crooked, and the plumb line's straight, and the plumb line is the word of the living God. I believe in justification by faith alone. Somebody comes along, tells me you're saved or you're adopted into the family of God by doing a bunch of good works, and at the end of your life, God's gonna put your good works on one side of the scale and your bad works on the other side of the scale, and if you've got more good works than bad works, then you get to go to heaven. I'm gonna take the plumb line out and hold it against that teaching, and God's gonna say that's not true. Because in the book of Titus, chapter three, I believe it's verse five, it says, not by works of righteousness, which you have done, he saved you, but by his grace you are saved. That's why the guy on the thief on the cross right beside of Jesus had no good works, none. But he believed right then on Jesus, and Jesus said, I will see you in today. Isn't that cool? So you just hold up the plumb line. So let me just close. The theology, you have to have a fixed standard. And the fixed standard is the word of God. Now, if somebody's not gonna if somebody's not gonna go with you to that fixed standard, then really your debates with them will go on and on and on because they're just gonna look at you every time you bring up the Bible and go, the Bible isn't true. That's why we're doing this series on Wednesday night called Why We Believe the Bible. Because I don't want you to just be able to quote scripture to people, I want you to be able to say, here's why. And we're gonna be ordering some little booklets that have why we believe Jesus is God, why we believe the Bible is truth. We're gonna make those available to you for about five bucks a piece so you can have them in your library. Anybody interested in that? Amen? So the theology that has come down to us from the word of God has to be protected. It has to be preserved. It has to be fought for. Remember what Jude said in the beginning of this sermon. Contend! So I close this sermon today, and I really am closing, by saying to you, we got to fight for the truth. Well, I'm not, I'm just really not a fighter. I'm more of a lover. Well, I tell you what, let's fight for those babies out there. Let's fight for those babies so that when we're old and gone, we give them an undiluted truth and carry it right on from generation to generation. Look, we have a tremendous responsibility on us. If you came here to this church looking down, looking for some watered-down version of the truth, I can't afford to do that because I've got to stand before God one day and answer to Him. You say, well, your church might stop growing and you might not start taking, and you might get in the middle of that building program and have to quit building. If you start preaching it too strong, then we'll quit building. Because we're going to preach the truth in this church. And when I find myself in error, I want to learn. I'm always learning. There have been passages of Scripture I thought I knew the truth about. And then I get to digging in it, man, and I find out, oh, Pharaoh, that was kind of what it was saying, but really more accurately it's saying this. I'm learning all the time. I'm learning all the time. Jude said, our forefathers earnestly contended for the faith. They preserved the doctrine. They protected the doctrine. They guarded the doctrine and handed it down to us. That's our job, Whitley Church. That's our job. We'll answer. We'll answer before God. The Bible's the plumb line. It's that fixed point. So when I want to know what a sin is, what do I do? Get out the plumb line. You know, in my opinion, that's not really a sin. Just get out the plumb line. I don't need to know your opinion. You don't need to know my opinion. Get out the Bible. If I want to know how God feels about righteousness, get out the Bible. If I want to know how God feels about marriage, because I'll tell you something, guys, we're tossing marriages out like little pieces of trash. So if you want to find out what God thinks about you just tossing your marriage out the window and giving up on it, go to the Bible. Y'all are kind of harsh on that. You're pretty strong on that. And if you knew my particular situation, God just says the truth about marriage. Abortion. I'm not really sure how I feel about that. Well, I can help you feel good about it and write about it and have the truth about it because it's right there in the plumb line. Make any sense? 
You know what the next big battle for the church is? Homosexuality. Homosexuality. I love homosexuals. I welcome them to come to Whitley Church. Amen, amen? amen. We're a hospital. We're a hospital. We welcome you to come, but we want you to be set free. But that's going to be a battleground right there, boys and girls. Matter of fact, um, from some pretty reliable sources, what the plan is is to actually send people to the major churches in various communities to hear what the pastor's saying about that. And if he's saying the wrong thing, they lose their tax-exempt status. Now, that's not happening yet, but it's, it's in the works. It's the next battle. I'm telling you, Whitley Church, get ready. It's the next major battle for the church. Fornication. Every single week. Hey, it's 1018. Are y'all all right? Can I just preach? Every single week, somebody wants to argue with me about why they can live with their boyfriend and have sex with him and they're not married to him. They want to argue with me about it. I, I mean, will argue me down. Well, financially, and I don't really have any word to... So you're telling me that God has put you in a place where you have no choice but to violate his word. Really? You're going to blame God? You're going to say that about God? If you are, I'm going to back off because I'm allergic to lightning. <laughs> See, I don't have to, you say, well, well, I have a different view of fornication. I can't have a different view of fornication. Because I'm not even looking at my view. I'm looking at his view in the fixed word of God. It doesn't matter what I think about it. I mean, don't even come up to me and say, um, Pastor, what's your opinion on homosexuality? It doesn't matter what my opinion is. Teenagers explaining, you know, why they're having sex. Um, well, you know, so-and-so's having sex with, I don't care. You, you teenagers that are putting your hands where you ought not to put your hands, and you teenagers that are doing things that are, that are commanded in the Word of God to wait until after you're married, I'm going to tell you something. You think you can stand with your hands up on Wednesday night and praise God and then go, I don't know where you go now. <laughs> Let me just move on. But... <laughs> See, back in the day, you know, I was tempted in that area, and now I'd just soon have a good cheeseburger. I'm just telling you the truth. <laughs> Don't y'all tell Miss Millie I said that. Listen now. <laughs> but secretly, I think she feels the same way. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm telling you, teenagers. You're putting your hands and, and you're putting your hands where you ought not to put them and you're, not, and you're saying, well, that's not sex and you're doing other things I won't go into detail about and you're saying that isn't sex either. Yes, it's sin. It is sin. It's premarital sex and it is a sin and you need to stop it. And I'm going to tell you something. If you really want to get yourself in a bad position, keep doing that kind of stuff and going to the Bible studies and talking about Scripture and lifting your hands in worship. You need to get your heart right with God. You're not right with God. And I know, boy, amen, Pat, just tell them. Pre so let me talk to adults just a minute. It's tax time. You going to lie about that? You've been taking money under the table, you're not going to pay taxes on it? You say, oh yeah, and I feel all right about it, okay. Okay. Just hold up the plumb line, see if it's okay. Lying, covetousness, materialism, doctrinal things like grace. 
justification, salvation, sanctification, being spirit-filled, gifts of the spirit, fruits of the spirit. <clears throat> See, here's what happened. Once, once, here's what happens. Once you discern the will of God, those things you discern as truth become personal convictions for you. So, so you don't have to run to the Bible every time you face a situation because of your knowing the truth and studying the truth, the, the word of God gets in you. So then when you get in a situation that's a sin, you don't have to go to the word of God and go, I wonder if I can do this or not. Let me see. You're gonna sense something in you that goes, run, run. It's a conviction. The church needs a revival of personal convictions. Stop using the Bible and going through it and trying to find a loophole somewhere. If you feel wrong about it in your spirit, don't do it. Amen. That's conviction. I could preach so much more. Father, thank you for the truth today. <clears throat> God, I thank you for my church that I pastor that lets me preach the truth. And there may be some people here today who goes, I'm never coming back to this church again. I pray for them, Lord, that if they leave us, they'll go somewhere else and find truth. You don't have to come here to get to heaven, but you gotta follow truth to get to heaven. And that's all I care about, God, is that people make it to heaven. God, help us to be people of courage and help our young people to be people of courage and help them not to buy into the watered down junk that's being spewed out today as Christianity saying you can do this and you can do this and that's fine and that's okay and, and you're still a Christian and you're still close to God. God. God, give us boldness to preach it so they'll know that's not right. That's from hell. That's from Satan. I feel such a responsibility today. Such a responsibility to preach the truth and to help myself first and then the congregation to know what we believe and why we believe it so we can stand flat-footed, not shaky, and give a defense of our faith. Thank you, Father, for this day. In Jesus' name, and everybody said...